Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you for this awesome study today, Lord. I pray it encourages your people to get ready for your coming in them and for their rewards and so on and so forth. Father, please don't let your people miss this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I believe this is very important. Um, we're going to start with, um, well, we're going to call this the bride's submission is beautiful. It's beautiful to the Lord, right? And I'm going to start with uh, Marie Kelton's revelation on 4 one We called it the bride's transfer- transformation to heavenly submission. So, in this dream, Shay represents the bride of Christ who is submitted to her heavenly husband through obedience to the word. She said, um, I dreamed I was in Chicago. Well, we know Chicago uh, probably represents Babylon. Jesus said that we are in the world, but not of the world. And, of course, many Christians are of the world. So there has to be a change called sanctification. She said, I was in the uh, bathroom, and I was dyeing my hair blue with a white cream. Well, spiritually speaking, the bathroom is where we get rid of um, unwanted... um, waste, right, in our life. Now, a woman's hair is a sign of submission to her husband, and this text also explains the other dreams below this that we will share with you. 1 Corinthians 11, 3 through 15. <clears throat> but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. That's that's the pecking order right there, folks. Obey it, or you're going to miss the boat. Every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonoreth his head, but every woman praying or prophesying with her head unveiled dishonoreth her head. It's not a covering there, it's a veil. Uh, those are two different words. And uh, For it is one and the same thing as if she were shaven. For if a woman is not veiled, let her also be shorn. Okay, so uh, this is, of course, a woman to her husband, right? Let her also be shorn. But if it's a shame to a, for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be veiled. 
For a man indeed ought not to have his head veiled, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. For neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have a sign of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the woman without the man, nor the man without the woman in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, so is a man also by the woman, but all things are of God. Judge ye in yourselves. Is it seemly that a woman pray unto God unveiled? No, obviously. Uh, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a... So this is a natural lesson. It's not the lesson of the veil. It's a natural lesson to point to the veil, right? Uh, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a dishonor to him. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. A covering. Not a veil. A covering. Okay. Two different words. Uh, Dying the hair blue represents acquiring a heavenly submission to Jesus by being seated with Christ in heavenly places. The white cream represents purity, which we need to be in submission to Jesus and his word. Right? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, And you did he make alive when you were dead through your trespasses and sins, wherein you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. So if you're being disobedient, you're walking according to the prince of the powers of the air among whom we also once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved." and raised us up with him, and made us to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Heavenly places are abiding in Christ Jesus. Okay. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. So this faith is a gift from God. Ask him for that gift, uh, that you may walk in all of his ways, well-pleasing unto him. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. So we are called to walk in good works. Some people like to discount good works. You can't do that or you won't be doing the works of God. The color only uh, took to the back of my hair, which was a bright blue, but it didn't take to the rest of my hair. I knew in the dream that I was going to dye it again, 
and get the rest of my hair that might that that bright blue color. Well, obviously you want everything in submission to your head, right? Everything. So this is a continual work in your life to do this, okay? So um, salvation in our spirit is instant uh, when we first come to the Lord uh, in repentance. And this is represented by the blue coloring only taking to the back of the hair, which submits all of our past sins up to the point of our salvation. But the salvation of our souls is a progressive process as long as we are alive on this earth. And this is represented by the recoloring of the front part or forward-looking part of the hair, representing working out the rest of our salvation uh, in the future with fear and trembling. She said, my adoptive mom and my adoptive grandmother didn't like me dyeing my hair that color. Well, they represent um, the mother of harlots and her daughters. They do not like sanctified people. Uh, Look back through history. It's always been that way. Uh, They were really mad at me for it. Well, the Babylonish apostates hate the true disciples of Jesus throughout the history of the Bible. It was those recognized as God's people who persecuted the righteous. Okay, John 15, 18 through 21 says, If the world hateth you, you know that it hateth me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but... I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. For my name's sake, you are persecuted, Jesus said. And that's going to your cross, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus, submitting to him. Amen. So, this is a revelation given to Claire Pinar on 11-23-22. And the submitted bride is exceedingly beautiful. And, of course, that means to the Lord. Uh, but make no mistake about it. The bride is submitted to the Lord. Okay. I dreamed I saw two pregnant women at a hairdresser. I recognized the slightly younger one uh, was my friend Glenda. Glenda means holy and good. Both women were gorgeous and had gorgeous long blonde hair, and both were very pregnant with Christ, of course. They were fit and had running clothes on. They had just come back from a run. These women represent the members of the corporate bride body. They are fit from exercising their faith and overcoming in trials. And in running their race, right? Some people are not in the race. They don't know there is a race. Yes, there is. 
a race to the finish line. For every one of these wonderful positions in Christ, there is a race, right? They are completely submissive to the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N. You know what happens with your hair in the sun, right? It turns blonder. As indicated by the blonde hair. And Rion, her husband, said, and about uh, to give birth to the man-child reformers. That's right. Amen. A well-dressed male hairstylist came and spoke to them. He loved their long hair and their beauty. He told them to wait. Well, this male hairstylist, I believe, represents the Holy Spirit who gives those who are in submission to the King of Kings everything they will need uh, to be pleasing to Jesus as Haggai did in the book of Esther. Esther 2, 8 and 9 says, So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that uh, Esther was taken into the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And I believe this Haggai represents the Holy Spirit, right? And the maiden pleased him. In other words, she pleased the Holy Spirit. And she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her, speedily gave her, her things for purification. So if you think it's too late, don't believe that. Okay. With her portions and the seven maidens who were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he removed her and her maidens to the best place of the house of the women. Well, notice that the Holy Spirit can do a quick work if we please Him, right? He represents the Father to us. If we please Him, we please the Father. So this is a, uh, I'm going to depart from Claire's revelation here just for a moment to share another one that we call Time is Running Out. And Merlene Laughlin had this on 121.23. In a dream, I saw a very large white wall representing the white wall of purity and sanctification. Sanctification means separation. Walls separate us from the worldly, right? On the wall was the largest circular clock I've ever seen. It had a narrow black rim all the way around it. As I looked up at the 12 o'clock area of the clock, the number 12 started slowly running down the face of the clock like wet ink. The number 12, I believe, represents the number of the elect. The numbers 11 and 1 then started to run down like the 12 had done. Well, 111 is the gematria for the birth of the man-child. And it's found in many places where Jesus was born uh, and so on and so forth, representing the birth of the man-child. The Jamatri is there. Then I wake, woke up with the realization that time was running out for Christians. Yeah, for Christians to be a part 
of the man-child and the bride bodies. Remember, the man-child is a part of the bride body too, just as David was the head over Jerusalem, which was called the bride. He was a member also of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, He was the head of the bride body. So obey the voice of the Spirit and cast down distractions to be ready for what's coming. Now let's go back to Claire's dream. Then my perspective in the dream changed, and I was in another portion of the salon where I saw the main male stylist trying to make do with his clients. This main stylist, I believe, represents Jesus, the King of Kings, just like Ahasuerus in the book of Esther, right? They were all very overweight and scraggly black hair, uh, and none of them were pretty. Well, they are not pleasing to the Lord, evidently. So in the spiritual, these black-haired women represent the corporate body of the apostate church who are full of flesh and submitted to darkness. And, of course, they're not in the running for the bride because they're not running the race because they think it's all over. They stepped over the line and they're a shoe-in, right? (laughs) So the male stylist, the Holy Spirit, um, who had seen the blonde pregnant women called the main stylist, Jesus, on a red telephone from a distance and said, you have to see these two. They are beautiful. They are exactly what you're looking for. (laughs) I'm calling you so the others don't hear me. They might be jealous or offended. So, uh, and she has in parentheses here, the red telephone likely represents a state of emergency. Mm-hmm, I would think so. And, of course, it's to the church today. Okay. The main stylist, Jesus, excused himself from the less than desirable clients he had in front of him and came out to look at these blonde pregnant women. They were pregnant with Christ, right? He was thrilled to see them. He touched their hair and looked at their strong, lean, tanned legs, and he was smiling from ear to ear. Their strong, lean, tanned legs, I believe, represents a walk of strength while being exposed to the sun, S-U-N slash S-O-N, and have overcome many trials. And I believe exposed to the sun is like the Shulamite bride the perfect bride in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, who was scorched by the sun. They were tanned by the sun, right? He did not want to cut their hair as it was so healthy and thick and lovely. That represents submission, right? He just wanted to photograph them and be with them. (laughs) Yes, amen. Jesus admires the beauty and the submission of the bride. So, these women then morphed into one. Well, that's because they represent a corporate body called the Bride of Christ, right? 
And this superwoman was all smiles and gentle and unassuming, not prideful or boastful about her appearance or physical abilities at all, because it's all by grace, right? We don't have anything we didn't receive, right? I so badly wanted to be like that. I wanted to be perfect and pregnant like they were. And then Rion said this, he said in 1 Corinthians 12 and 20, but now they are many members, but one body. Amen. Corporate body. And then I woke up, and I received Isaiah 44:28 by faith at random for this dream. With my finger on, she shall be built. <laughs> In verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. It kind of gives us a timing here, right? Even saying of Jerusalem, remember what John in Revelation was told, and that was that the Jerusalem is the bride. Even saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple thy foundation shall be laid. God is building the bride. She shall be built. Will you be among them? Hmm. Well, I've got some good news for you, if you'll follow carefully. Um, This is a warning to contenders for the bride body. Claire Pinar received this, 12-8-22. We found ourselves in the foyer of a large modern church. Well, this modern church represents the modern apostate church system, as we will see. We did not want to be there in this church. There was a slightly older lady there with short blonde hair. Short hair is a lack of submission to the Lord, not necessarily to religion. But she had blonde hair, and she was very welcoming. Well, As we will see, this woman represents the deceptive and rebellious Jezebel spirit that rules the apostate church. Deception meaning she has that blonde hair. Okay. It was a lovely looking church with modern posters of families in the sun, etc. And uh, for uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, 3, 2 through 6 says, For men shall be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, haughty, railers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers, without self-control, fierce, no lovers of good, traitors, headstrong, puffed up, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding a form of godliness. So these are people who claim to be godly people. Okay. But having denied the power thereof. Okay, well that just means that um, they don't believe God's power can sanctify. They're willing to just be forgiven like a lot of people out there. Okay. But they have a form of godliness. Okay. Even that blonde hair. 
From these also turn away. You are commanded to come out from among them. For of these are they that creep into houses and take captive silly women laden with sins, led away by divers lusts, even while they go to church, right? ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yep, they cannot receive the truth. They love apostate Christianity. Well, the lady was keeping us busy chatting. While we were distracted in conversation, she led us to a row of seats right in front of the stage. The lights dimmed, and my stomach retched. I looked at Rion, and I could not believe what was happening. We were sitting in an apostate church service. And Rion said, Well, beware of the deception of those who appear to be of the light on the outside, represented by the blonde hair, but are in reality rebellious, represented by the short hair. The older blonde woman was telling us that her and her husband would only speak again in October of the next year as they have so many pastors and they are they all take turns preaching. Well, the, this is where the mega churches are, folks. This is why they flock to them. It's easy on their flesh. They don't de, you know, demand the crucified life, so on and so forth. But this October, uh, the whole month of October, according to John Ramirez, is a month of witchcraft and preparation of the Satanists for their celebration of Halloween and the Day of the Dead. So this is a dead church. They're powerless, as we just read, right? And Rion said, uh, James 3 and 1 says, Be not many of you teachers, my brethren, knowing that we shall receive heavier con judgment or condemnation in some versions. I was now sweating. Rion stood up and led us out of the church in the opposite direction of the throng of people streaming in. Yep, that's where the multitudes are. That's what they like. Uh, they're not seeking truth or submission. Remember, Jesus was on the outside of the big church building. <laughs> he was out there sitting on a rock teaching his disciples, right? It was embarrassing, but we could uh, not stay. We had to leave. But our children had gotten so comfortable uh, in the short time that we were there that they ran away from us to play on the playgrounds. Mm. So the apostates tried to entertain the spiritually immature. And uh, spiritual uh, grown-ups can lose their fruit being carnally entertained in this way. She said, my son was only a toddler in the dream. Well, he's much older than that, but he had lost some maturity, right? And he was wandering around crying and whining. Um, because of him being in an apostate church, he lost maturity. Okay, It was so hard to watch Rion, too, as he had lost his authority over our children. Well, Rion said in 1 Timothy 3 and 2, The bishop, therefore, must be without reproach, 
And in verse 4 it says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in submission with all gravity. Amen. So his house, as long as your children are in your house, they're under your authority. Notice that. Sometimes they go astray afterwards, but uh, if you raise them up in the way they should go, when they're older, they won't depart from it. That's what the Bible says. Praise be to God. And if we don't uh, do this, we are losing our submission to the Lord and causing our children to do the same, as we can see in the next scene. I then stood in front of a mirror and took some scissors and cut my hair way shorter in other words, these are all effects from going through this apostate church. Uh, cut my hair way shorter than what is generally comfortable or acceptable for me. Rion came in and helped me to cut it off. Yeah, you wanted to be like the rest of them, right? That's the problem. When you get in there, that influence of apostasy causes you to lose submission to the Lord, cutting the hair, right? Symbolized here by cutting off hair, which is a sign of submission. It was horrible as I blinked back tears. When we finally rallied our kids, we walked out of the front of the church. Mm-hmm. Rion said, There's grace when we fail, but we must keep overcoming in our trials. Amen. We get back up and go some more, right? And as we were leaving, we walked past many camper vans and trailers with people watching their own TV shows and drinking beer and wine and cooking on their barbecue grills. We were shocked. And I said to Rion, why? And he replied, the church has given them permission to be here just as they are. Mm-hmm. There's no sanctification. Of course, we don't try to... Um, clean the fish before we catch the fish. You have to make sure someone is a disciple so that they can go on to the deeper things, right? I woke up and a feeling of remorse and sorrow uh, washed over me. I cut my hair was all I could think about. I was remorseful because I... I know long, straight hair represents submission to our Lord. I received by faith at random Jeremiah 31 and 23. In context, 18 to 25. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, saying, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a calf unaccustomed to the yoke, which that would be submission, right? Turn thou me, and I shall be turned. Yes, it's grace. For thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. Cry out to God to grant repentance unto you. It's grace, right? And after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my heart yearneth for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. 
Set thee up waymarks. Make thee guideposts. Set thy heart towards the highway, even the way by which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go hither and thither, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Yet again shall they use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof, when I bring, when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of righteousness, O mountain of holiness. You see, we have to head for holiness. It, holiness and sanctification are the same word. Okay. And uh, Judah and all the cities thereof shall dwell therein together, the husbandmen and they that go about with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and every sorrowful soul have I replenished. So I ask the Lord if this is a testing for those who are in the running to be in the bride, to be mindful of the distractions of religion or pharisaical spirits, I would say. Uh, I received John 6 and 6 by faith at random on the phrase, and this he said to prove him. Notice, quote, and this he said to prove him. Verse 6, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So we're being proven, running the race, right? We're being proven. Okay, this is uh, Tiana Fire on 114.23. She receives surrendering, brings swift victory. Amen. Suddenly I felt the Lord's presence so strong in the spiritual realm. I then saw at that very moment that in an instant God could remove all the filth in my flesh and soul 100% quicker than I could think, and he could manifest his presence a hundred percent in my body and soul, and I saw that it had already been done, and the manifestation could be done instantaneously. Well, let me say this. The manifestation is progressive, but it can be finished quickly. Okay. You you have seen the progression, right? And uh, but you don't know is that he can get you there quickly. Uh, Philippians one and six, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, he will. And listen carefully to these verses, Psalm eighty one thirteen and fourteen. Oh, that my people would hearken unto me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Yeah, you know the adversaries, those demons that make war against you, and of course the people they inhabit making war against you, and so on and so forth. The haters of the Lord should submit themselves unto him, but their time should endure forever. 
So there's a great reward for those who learn submission. And she said, I know many other brethren pray for God to manifest himself in us fully. Amen. Uh, Ephesians 3 and 19 says, To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. That's the word of the Lord. And, of course, some people say that's that's impossible. Well, that's impossible with men, and that's the only thing that they're dealing with, obviously, is men. But it's not nothing's impossible with God, as the Word clearly says. So we all want to be 100% dead to self, she says, and my soul desires it so much for all of us. We know that by faith it has already happened, and we will see it manifest in the physical realm. Amen. But in that moment, when I saw he could do it all right then, my flesh got so terrified because it couldn't handle the presence of God that strong and that intense so quickly. Well, I desire it, and I know it will happen, but there is so much that I still have to let go of that isn't Christ, that God hasn't even revealed to me yet. So many hidden things. But God will reveal those things in His perfect timing, and I desire to let go of everything that isn't holy. Amen. The complete removal of self uh, in an instance would hurt because it is all I have ever known, and the uh, and His holiness replacing it would hurt if it happened without me being fully prepared um amen i agree and that's why god says things like this i felt that it had to be a gradual thing i must let go of things bit by bit and then the lord can come and fill those spots until there is nothing left but jesus i must keep letting go of my own carnal thinking reasoning and understanding and filling it with the Word and His Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is why God told the Israelites that every place that they set their foot in the promised land, He would give it to them. In other words, it means being under their submission, right? Under them, under their authority. Because if he had wiped out their enemies all at once, the land would have been overrun with wild beasts. Yep, that's what the Lord said. So he ordained that they conquer it a little at a time. Yes. Deuteronomy 7 and 22 says, And the Lord thy God will cast out those nations before thee little and little. Thou mayest not consume them at once, lest the beast of the field increase upon thee. But you can have been in this process for a while, and I want to tell you, God can finish it very quickly. So, I have felt and experienced what I would describe as my flesh surrendering bit by bit to the Spirit and the Word, but there are parts that still haven't surrendered completely, and if it happened instantaneously, my mind and soul couldn't handle it. She means the whole thing, instantaneously, God's timing is perfect, and we need to be prepared every day for an increasing 
of him in each of us in our soul and physical body. Yet, as the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day, right? you got to give up territory to get territory for the kingdom, which is sanctification. And when we surrender to his spirit willingly and surrender our whole heart to him, it is so much easier for our body to submit. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 says, But I buffet my body. That means hit it many times, many blows. Right? I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means, after that I have preached to others, I myself would be rejected. Okay, so she went on to say, Yes, I want the complete manifestation and deliverance from all evil in my soul and body. But I realized that it is a progressive thing so that my physical body can handle it. God doesn't give us more than we can handle. God wants his son to uh, completely uh, manifest in each of us. And I, I can see Jesus growing and increasing in the brethren more and more, and it is so beautiful to witness. And after experiencing this, I have felt so much closer to God that every day we are getting closer and closer to Him manifesting in us to the full. Every day, whether we see it or not, we are dying to self in some areas. And He is coming into us more and more uh, than the previous day. Everything is His grace and can only be done by His grace it is all because of Jesus. All glory and praise to our Father and the Lord Jesus forever and ever. And then she offers his prayer. Lord, let us all willingly surrender to your Spirit in all areas of our existence. Allow us to love you more and to rest in you, accepting your grace and allowing you to follow through us, to flow through us, excuse me. So, Thank you, Lord, that your grace is beyond anything we can comprehend. Thank you that we can do nothing without you, but we can do everything through you. And thank you that it is not us living, but Christ living in us. Thank you that we are dead to self and alive unto you, God, in Christ Jesus. Thank you that Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And thank you, God, that it is all you for all eternity. And Samuel, her husband, prayed this, um, and and he saw prayed about this, and he saw a young fruit tree, ambitious to bear hundreds of fruits, but not yet mature to do so. And as the branches grew, the buds formed all over and and flowered. In time, the tree was able to bear the amount that it can handle. Yes, as the tree's limbs get stronger and stronger, the, it can bear more and more fruit, right? So there's a maturing there, right? And this is uh, Marie Kellen's revelation on 1623, The Pearls of Great Price. In this dream, I was in Chicago. I was walking away from my old house on a sidewalk. Well, leaving the house of our mother church is a sign of growing in spiritual maturity. 
I met Thaddeus, which means God's gift, and Greg, which means watchful or vigilant, two people I went to school with. So God gives us helpers along the way, like the fruits of the Spirit and wisdom, and we must listen to them, right? Thaddeus was to my left and Greg was to my right. And as we were walking, I asked Thaddeus what happened to him because I saw that he had a cut on his finger. (laughs) Thaddeus said that he had a paper cut. And I said to him, those are the worst. I think this is talking about that our gifts can suffer when we go contrary to the word which is written on paper. Those words on that paper will cut like a two-edged sword. (laughs) So we were going across the street, and there was a tan van waiting for us to cross so that it could turn right. A red truck was behind the van waiting also. And as we were crossing, I felt an evil spirit grab the back of my shirt to keep me from continuing to cross the street. Thaddeus and Greg continued walking across the street. So obviously we shouldn't get separated from our spiritual gifts by any demon that wants to hold us back, right? can be dangerous. As we see, the person in the tan van was getting impatient and turned and hit me with their car. (laughs) So, So the demons will try to hold us back so that we fall under judgment, right? In the dream, I told the judge, I believe representing the father, and she does too, about the car that hit me. The license plate on the front of the van had 333 in it. Oh, well, Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great things and difficult which thou knowest not. You must do that all the time. Pray without ceasing, calling upon the Lord to show you things, and especially those demons that want to hold you back, right, and let you get hit by the car. So uh, this was on the front of the car or before the van hits. So to stop this, we must seek the Lord for wisdom, right? Seek him now so you don't get hit by the van, right? (laughs) The scene changed, and I was in a car. I don't know if I was driving or not. I realized I had an old necklace, and I heard a voice say, Pearls. Well, I'll just say before we get to it, if our treasures have become tarnished, and uh, we must sanctify them with pure treasures from heaven. In other words, a revival, right? So, in the dream, I thought of the parable of the pearl of great price. Hmm. While in the car, the Lord was supernaturally changing the radio stations to speak to me through the songs. And every time he would change the song, one of the old pearls from the necklace I wore would burst and break in a new pearl would be in its place. Amen. 
And as we seek his wisdom, he will give us new beauty and values. Okay. New treasures. Heavenly type treasures. I was so excited and asked the Lord to keep speaking to me through songs on the radio. Well, the Lord's words are melodious and pleasing words to our spirit man because he gets to grow under those, right? Not that all music out there is good. That's not, she's not saying that at all. But um, there's some of it that edifies, and especially when you can hear the words. <laughs> and uh, Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a merchant seeking goodly pearls. And having found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. Well, all that he had and bought it. So, Debbie Finsky receives this prophetic word on 123.23, and we called it, Am I Your Everything? In our Monday night fellowship gathering, our praise and worship time was wonderful, she said. We sang several songs to Jesus. Our spirits were united as one in one accord, giving praise, honor, and glory to God, just as Michael had prayed earlier. And as we sang the Revelation song, I know we all could feel our praise and worship going up to the Lord from our hearts. It was high praise and high worship, and it seemed we were truly touching God's heart. Yet I felt something else, too, in my spirit from the Lord. In the midst of that high worship to Jesus, something else was on his heart. And I believe he's speaking here about um, most of the church who don't worship in spirit and in truth, right? I felt this from him the first time when we sang the words, You are my everything, and I will adore you. And I asked him, Jesus, what is on your heart? And he asked me, am I your everything? I thought this question was only for me. But as he repeated that question two more times, and as we continued singing that song to him, I felt it rising up in me. And when he repeated it a, a third time, I knew it was for others in our midst besides me. Besides, I felt his words welling up in me. And I believe it's also for you, since we're sharing it with you. So, uh, obviously, we're just a, uh, a microcosm of the macrocosm, right? So, um, uh, the larger UBM is out there and uh, listening and uh, growing with us. And here's the word. My people, am I your everything? You say that I am. I say to you, my people, check your hearts. Search your hearts. You must diligently examine your hearts. Look deep and see those things that fill you. And ask yourselves if I am your everything. I am looking at your hearts, and I see what is there. You must give those things over to me so that I will fill you. And I will truly be your everything, your only desire. 
There is much to give up. You can do this. For as you desire to do this, my people, I will help you. You will not be on your own. I will help you, my people. For I desire to be your everything, your all in all. And she said after that, Chuck uh, prayed, uh, mentioning specific areas the Lord would help us to let go of and give over to him, and that the Lord would strengthen us. Chuck thanked him for his great mercy towards us, asking him to continue extending his mercy to us. Others prayed also as they were praying. I heard the Lord repeating to me, This is not just a tonight thing. So then the Lord had one more word to say. My people, this is not just a tonight thing. I am asking of you. This is an everyday thing you must do, always examining your hearts, for it is my desire to be completely and totally yours. Well, amen to that. Father, we so much want and desire you only to be the love of our hearts and that we would run after you and not be distracted by this world and the things, especially at this time when we're about to see who you have chosen for your bride and your man-child. So at this time, Lord, we know that you can do a quick work, as we have just saw here. You can do a quick work of finishing us up. Uh, we just need to give it all to you. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you would do and accept uh, what we give to you. We know reconciliation has been made, which is an exchange, and that all of our sins were put upon the cross. And that's where we need to leave them. And um, our, our flesh on the altar, so to speak. And that's where we should leave it. And thank you, Father, that you will take this and make an exchange and give us your life the life of Jesus Christ that you have given unto us. Thank you, Father, for making this exchange in our lives and doing a quick work in us. We ask you to put a desire in us to run after you at this time because, as we can see, we're running out of time uh, to be in the bride, to be in the man-child, to be in whatever calling God has given to the brethren out there. We've all been raised up for different purposes and with different gifts, and we want to be useful to the Lord. It's sad that some people's fruit, because of listening to apostasy and hanging out around apostates and so on, has been become immature. And uh, so, Lord, we just ask you that your people would come out from among them and be separate and uh, don't touch the unclean thing and uh, that you might uh, work in them this uh, white wall of sanctification, separation of them from the worldly and uh, from the enemies. And uh, thank you so much for what you're doing, Lord. We put our trust in you. We believe you, and we praise you, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, saints, God bless you. Uh, Michael Hare's coming, and the brethren are going to get a good word from him, I'm sure. And we just bless him and bless them. And we thank you, Father, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. God bless you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Well, hello, saints. Good to be back with you. Good today on this nice rainy day. Amen. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I just praise you, Lord, and I glorify you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the word that you put in us. Lord, I ask and I pray that this uh, this study today would help a lot of people to help conquer the flesh in them. Thank you, Father, for the anointing. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I praise you, Father, for all that's accomplished this day. In Jesus' name, be with me, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, God always repeats history. Jesus came along and what was prophesied about him. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Praise God forevermore. And so we see that Jesus came to sit on the throne of David. Or to rule over New Testament spiritual Israel as a repetition of the Davidic ministry over Israel. And we also discover a parallel there that we find in other places in the scriptures also. And that is when Jesus came on the scene to lead those who had eyes to see and ears to hear that there was a ministry already in place that followed him every step of the way. And before David came on the scene, there was a Saul ministry. Those Pharisees those Sadducees, their zealots, and all the heads of the denominations in Jesus' day represented this Saul ministry. So let's look and see what we can find out about the Saul ministry. Well, one thing is that Jesus said things about the religious head of his day that were true of Saul in David's day. Jesus said that they were leading the people badly, Actually, they were leading them to destruction and weren't being obedient to the commands of the Lord. Jesus also said of the Pharisees that they made of no effect the word of God by their traditions, Mark 7 and 13. And we see verses that speak about them raising up people to be sons of the devil. Matthew 23 and 15 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is become so, you make him twofold more of a son of hell than yourselves. Well, what kind of a ministry of God people is it who raise up people to be sons of hell and sons of the devil? And who in the world can believe that after being raised up in such a religious institution or institutions, that they could possibly be that. Well, those people, of course, didn't believe that they were sons of hell and the devil. Of course they didn't. In our day, too, there's a lot of people out there who are in Christianity, 
and is just as mean as a one-eyed snake. And yet they think they're sons of God. And it's real sad. But you can recognize people by their fruit, Matthew 12 and 33. Remember what the scriptures had to say, which is that everything in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is going to be repeated in our day, except the cast of characters is multiplied many times over. In other words, every time history repeats, it repeats with more people. So we see corporate body entities in the book of Revelation and in the types and shadows there. And all through the Gospels and the book of Acts, we're also going to see that, folks. God had reprobated those ministries even before Jesus came on the scene. Jesus prophesied what Isaiah the prophet said of them that they couldn't see and they couldn't hear. Matthew 13 and 14 says, And unto them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall in no wise understand. And seeing you shall see, and shall in no wise perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest happily they should perceive, perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should turn again, and I should heal them. They didn't understand what Jesus was bringing to them from the Father, and they were jealously protecting their turf, so to speak. And of course, they were the ones, the so-called people of God, who persecuted and killed the saints. I know y'all don't think it's going to be any different than our day, because it ain't. History just repeats. And that's how we know God's in control. Remember what Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 said. That which hath been is that which shall be. And that which hath been done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. So we see that their Saul ministry was leading people to destruction. And if a few hadn't listened to Jesus... They would have all been destroyed, but God saved a remnant through the man-child Jesus. And we've already shared with you that Jesus said how he was going to repeat that history again in end time, that he was going to be gone for a little while. But when he returned, he was going to return like a little baby boy, a man-child born to a woman in travail, as it says in John 16 and Revelation 12. Now, we have another man-child ministry coming. And before that ministry comes, before the David ministry comes again, God's going to reprobate another Saul ministry. Remember that the Saul ministry led their people to destruction, led them to death. And yet they thought they were such religious people. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that that's all a type and a shadow for us. And we can see there are a lot of people who believe that they are children of God, but they're totally deceived. We can tell by their fruit. If you just judge by the word of God, what a person merely believes that they are ain't going to make a bit of difference at all compared to what Jesus said about the scripture, that we're going to be judged by the scriptures. John 12 and 48, he that rejects me, and receives not my sayings, hast one that judges him. 
the word that I spake, the same shall judge him in the last day. So we we need to know what the scriptures say, right? First Chronicles 10, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gabor. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and after his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchelshua, the and the sons of Saul. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, we know that God showed us what some of the types represent. <clears throat> and in this type right here, the Philistines were the people who dwelt in the land before Israel was commanded to come in. Israel was commanded to conquer them and take that land. And so what we need to understand is the same thing. The parallel that we saw in the book of Exodus, which was that the Egyptians represented the old man. The old man lived in the land and the Israelites were in bondage to the old man. So God sent his man-child Moses in there to lead his people out of bondage to the old man. God even took them through baptism in the Red Sea where that old man was drowned. And when we go down in the waters of baptism now, it symbolizes putting that old man in us to death. We're supposed to reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin, but now we're alive unto Christ. And the new man comes up on the other side. That's in Romans 6 and 11. Well, this is the same with the promised land, folks. The Israelites were the spiritual man that was to conquer the old man who lived in the land, and those Philistines were now conquering them. What do you think it represents when the old man conquers the new man? That ain't a good thing, is it? Does it ever happen? Yep, it sure does. Now, let's look at uh, an extreme example of this happening. Look in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. For as touching those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, now, that's speaking to Christians, okay? And then fell away. It is impossible to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Well, who's the Son of God? And how can you crucify to yourself the Son of God except that, remember, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. And who is Christ in you? He's that born-again man. He's the spiritual man. He's being created, recreated, in the image of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said this in John 6.63, The words that I have spoken unto you are spirit and are life. Those words there went into his disciples and they recreated Jesus's spirit and his life in them. So there is a man in you, a spiritual man in you, that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is talking now about someone who has partaken of very much of the kingdom, the heavenly gift. 
the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the powers of the age to come. And then they fell away. And he says in such a case, when somebody's gone that far and decided to go back, God's not going to grant them repentance. There are people who are in lesser cases who do repent and do come back to the Lord. We know that. But look at what's being said here. They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Well, what happened here was the old man conquered the new man, didn't he? He put the new man to death. They walked willfully against the Lord and crucified the spiritual man. And Paul goes on to say this in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7. For the land which hath drunk the rain that comes oft upon it and brings forth her herbs meat for them, for whose sake it is also tilled, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is rejected and nigh unto a curse whose end is to be burned. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe that, but the fact is, it's going to be burned. It's going to be rejected. And that's the word, the Greek word, adokamos. It means reprobate. In the sense of not standing the chest, rejected by God. Well, if you notice in this particular scenario, the new man was conquered. Therefore, the Bible tells us that this is exactly what can happen. Another example is found here in James chapter 5, verse 19. My brethren, now you know when he says my brethren, that's Christian, right? If any among you err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sin. A soul can die because there are too many. There's two men living in your land. That's the new man. And then there's the old man. And if you walk after the new man, he's going to conquer the old man. And if you walk after the old man, he will conquer the new man. Jude 11 says, Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain. What did Cain do? Of course, Cain killed his brother. The brother uh, uh, Abel was a spiritual one in the family. The old man conquered the new man, so to speak. And if you really want proof of that, when Seth was born, he was called a replacement for Abel in Genesis 4 and 25. Why was God replacing Abel? Because when a person comes into the world, they begin to walk after their flesh very naturally. And that fleshly man pushed to death the spiritual man. We've all gone astray, each one after his own way, as it says in 1 Peter 2.25. And that spiritual man represents the one that Cain killed, which is Abel. So there had to be a replacement, <coughs> a born-again spiritual man. And the next one that came along was Seth. You see, that's why he was a replacement. It even says it. They're very plainly in Genesis 4 and 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For said she, God hath appointed me another seed 
instead of Abel, for Cain slew. He was a replacement for Abel. So they went in the way of Cain, putting to death the spiritual man, and ran riotously in the air of Balaam for hire. Jude 11. A lot of people are living after the lust of the flesh. They're selling their birthright just like Esau did. And they're doing things because of gain, and they believe doctrines because of gain. Not because it's the truth or what they need. And they perished in the gain saying of Korah, Jude 11. Korah was someone who was usurping the authority that God rightly gave to Moses and Aaron. Jude 12 says this, there are th These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feast when they feast with you, shepherds that without fear feed themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Well, how can you be twice dead? Well, you have to be twice born. <clears throat> You have to be born again and died again. How's that happen? Well, the old man conquers the new man when a person walks after their flesh. Romans 8 and 12. So then, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Verse 13. For if ye, and if you'll notice, that's brethren. And this is brothers and sisters here. That's the people of God. For if ye live after the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. And if you walk after the flesh, folks, you're feeding the flesh. And if you feed the flesh, the flesh will conquer your spiritual man. There's still a lot of people sitting on a pew, folks. And there are many leaders still leading churches. And they've been dead for a long time. The Bible even says, she that gives herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. 1 Timothy 5 and 6. There's a lot of people who are dead. They had a relationship with God. They walked with God. They had a conscience and they loved to please God. Yet in some way, now they love to please man. They love to please religion. They love to please their flesh. In 1 Chronicles 10, we see the story of the Philistines conquering Israel. They conquered the people of Israel and conquered Saul and his three sons. First Chronicles 10 and 3. And the battle went sore against Saul and the archers overtook him and he was distressed by reason of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was so afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he likewise fell upon his sword and died. So Saul died and his three sons and all his house died together. What do you think that's talking about? Saul and his house fell together. together. And it's interesting that Saul led God's people to their death. Saul represents a ministry in our day that's leading a people called Israel to their death. But why would Saul do such a thing? How 
could he do such a thing? And what would cause him to do that? Well, Saul had a good start, but shortly after that, he had a very bad continuation. After Saul won some battles for the people of God, God gave him a very specific command for Samuel 15.1. And Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I have marked that which Amalek did to Israel, how he set himself against him in the way which he came out of Egypt. Who is it that oppresses us and stands in our way when we seek to come out of the world? Well, it's our old man. Who was it that sought to destroy Israel when they wanted to come out of the world, come out of Egypt? It was the Egyptians, the old man, and that's what Amalek represents here. Amalek is those who resisted them coming out of the world and going to the promised land. First Samuel 15 and 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. God commanded Saul to wipe them all out and not to leave anything. And you might say, well, that's kind of merciless. Well, it is merciless until you stop to figure out who he's talking about here in the spirit and not in the letter. Although the letter was true and it did happen, it was a type of the shadow that's been given to us, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. So if it's for us, what does it mean? We're not going to go around killing Amalekites, are we? No. We have to see this in the spirit, and in the spirit, what's it saying? It's saying we have to put to death our enemies that resist us coming out of this world. Every man, every woman, every child, all of them, all the beasts, they have to die. They, every one of them have to die. And God does not give any ifs ands or buts about it either. He wants them all taken away, the man of the flesh. But Saul didn't obey and he spared somebody. First Samuel 15 and 8 and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. They spared Agag. And what does Agag represent? He was the leader over the flesh. He represented the mind of the flesh, the brains of the outfit. He was the mind of the flesh, and Saul spared the mind of the flesh. God said, go and kill them all. Don't leave a man. Don't leave a woman. Don't even leave a child. Every one of them has to die. And you know that we can't. This old man can't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
1 Corinthians 15 and 50 says this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, for whosoever was saved his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Except you lose your life, you're not going to gain your life. And as long as this man lives, we're in danger of losing our life. And I'm talking about we, the spiritual man, are in danger of losing our life as long as that old man lives. That's why God said don't have any mercy on him. Put him to death. Kill him immediately. Don't have any mercy. So Paul spared Agag, whom I believe represents the mind of the flesh. And what did God say about that when Samuel caught Saul sparing this man? He rebuked Saul, 1 Samuel 15 and 17. And Samuel said, Though thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? The problem was that Saul became too big for his britches, and he didn't want to do what God had commanded. He began to reason for himself like a lot of us people do, especially leadership over God's people who like to reason for themselves. You know, God don't care a thing about our reasoning. He just wants us to obey what he has written. But people try to worm their way out of it. And God said in 1 Samuel 15, 23, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. There it is. That's your rep reprobation right there. He has rejected thee from being king. And what did Saul say? 1 Samuel 15, 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Well, isn't that true of a lot of preachers today, folks? They fear the people. They want to obey them. They want to please them. They want to make sure they can keep paying their tithes and on and on, right? Now, isn't it that way? Now, we see shortly after that in chapter 16, God anointed little David to be king. He didn't become king right there. Samuel just anointed him from that time forth. And at the same time, of course, the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's in 1 Samuel 16, 14. From that point on, everything was downhill for Saul. Why? Because he didn't kill that old man. He didn't lead God's people to kill the old man. And so what happened? He led them to their death because the Philistines conquered them. You see, the old man conquered them. And another type in this is the story of David and Goliath. Y'all remember the story of how little David had already killed his lion and his bear in 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. He had experience and he just flat out told Saul, look, this guy ain't no problem. We can take care of him. But Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Well, that's true. The old flesh from our youth. It's been conquering us and keeping us under. It's been a 
mighty giant to us. We just don't think it can be conquered. The problem is when people who call themselves preachers don't think that he can be conquered, it's because they don't even know the gospel. They haven't read the Bible and they haven't received the revelation from God. You don't want to sit on anybody like that. That's a soul ministry because they don't know that you can conquer the giant. And that was the bad report. And that was given to the people of God when they went in and looked at the promised land and found those giants there. You know, the ten spies, they died in the wilderness because they didn't believe they could conquer the giants. But what happened to Joshua and Caleb, who did believe? They walked into the promised land in their bodies, folks. They were the only ones who walked straight into the promised land. They never even died. Well, Saul had an idea. David, you know, was telling Saul, look, I took care of the lion and I took care of the bear when they came out against my sheep, came out against God's flock. And this uncircumcised Philistine, I could take care of him, too, by the grace of God. Then an interesting thing happened. First Samuel 17 and 38. And Saul clad David with his apparel, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, and he clad him with a coat of mail, and David girded his, I saw, sword upon his apparel, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. Well, who had proved them? Saul was the only one who had proved his own armor, right? So what Saul was saying is that that giant can't be conquered. I ain't going out there. Here, you take my armor, you go. You take care of him for me, and I'm not going out there. You know, nobody can conquer that giant for you. Everybody has to conquer their own giant, folks. And to tell you the truth, the Lord's already done it at the cross. Now, all we have to do is accept that we were crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. The old man, the one who's ruled over our life, who brought us into bondage, the one who's lived in the land, even before the born-again spiritual man comes into the land. That one is the one who's ruled over us and is like a giant to us. And Saul is hidden, and his ministry said, you can't handle that guy. He's been a warrior from his youth. And you're just a little old nobody. But I'll tell you what, even a little old nobody's can handle him. You know what? You know why? Because Jesus and you together is the, all that's necessary. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So David said he hadn't proved it. What had he proved? He had never worn any of man's armor because his armor was the Lord. In fact, he told Goliath then, I love this. Thou camest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I came to see thee. I came to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And that's all he had was the name. That was his armor. Then verse 46, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand and I will smite thee and take thy head from off thee. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day into the birds of heaven and to the wild beasts of the earth. And that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
That little guy had a lot of spunk, didn't he? But you know what? It wasn't just talk. It was the faith of the Lord inside him. He knew. He took out that lion and that bear, and he knew it wasn't him. He knew it was God. When a person walks by faith, they handle bigger and bigger enemies, and it just comes natural to them. Well, anyway, David did conquer the giant. He did cut his head off. And, of course, Paul, uh, Saul spared the head of the flesh, but David cut it off. And not only that, David obeyed God and took out the Amalekites. He took them out man, woman, and child. And if you'll notice, this was before David came into the kingdom, before he was anointed to be king over all Israel. He'd already been anointed by Samuel, and he was in the wilderness with his men, fighting the battles of Israel, while Saul was ruling in Israel as the official head of the kingdom. It was David that was out there fighting the battles for Israel. And I think that's what's happening today, folks. David hadn't yet assumed the throne. He hasn't yet come to the anointing of the kingdom. But right now, he's out there fighting the battles of the kingdom. First Samuel 27 and 8. And David and his men went up and made a raid upon the Gershurites and the, Giz, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land who were of old, as thou goest to share, even unto the land of Egypt. So, these were the first rulers of the land, just like your old flesh was the first ruler of this land. In Hebrews 6, God is calling the land this life that we live in. This land, this life that we live in, has to bear fruit, and that old man has to die. 1 Samuel 27 and 9, And David smote the land and saved neither man nor woman alive and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparels and he returned and came to Achish. So he saved not a man nor a woman alive. He conquered the Amalekites. David didn't have any problem leading God's people to conquer his enemies because he first conquered that old man. Saul didn't conquer the old man. He didn't obey. He didn't put to death the mind of the flesh. And so the Philistines came back and conquered both him and the people he was leading. Now, that's a ministry that we're living amongst right now, folks. These ministries all around the world right now don't believe in conquering the flesh. They like to live peaceably with the old man. You know, we may want to live with the old man, but if you do, the old man is going to conquer you. You can't both live in the same property because they're going to come back and conquer you. They took Saul out, and that's the reason he didn't obey God. He didn't put to death the old man. You know what happened? When they conquered Saul, they took his head off, and they put it in the house of their God. What do you think that means? See, he was supposed to take the old man's head off, wasn't he? You know, when Samuel greeted Saul, returning from the slaughter of the Amalekites, Samuel rebuked him right there in front of everybody. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And then Samuel immediately took his sword, and he cut Agag in pieces 
He put him totally to death. He didn't leave nothing but little tiny pieces of him. And he knew how important it was to put this leader of the old man to death. Saul didn't know that. He was having mercy. He thought he had more wisdom. And of course, it's painful to put to death the old man. But it's a command from God. And we have to lose our life to gain our life. And Saul just totally missed out on what the Lord was trying to say to him. Folks, we are called to rest from our works with the grass under our feet. And all flesh is as grass, it says in 1 Peter 1.24, right? We have to have dominion over the old man. And we rest from our own works. We can't save ourselves. The Lord's already done it, folks. And all he wants us to do is to believe what he said and rest in it and trust in him and he'll bring it to pass. But as we rest from our own works, that's when God's power comes in. For we who have believed do enter into that rest, Hebrews 4 and 3. When you believe God's promises, there's nothing left for you to do but to trust and to rest <clears throat> and to cease. And if you really believe he's done it, then trust him. When we enter into that rest, that's where God's power comes in. And it'll do you a lot of good to get as far away from some of them that you're listening to as you can right now. The old man is ruling in many of the churches. It's not the spiritual man. It's the old man. He has conquered the spiritual man in many cases. And in many cases, that spiritual man is dead because he doesn't have any power to rule. And this is Saul leading his people to spiritual death. Not physical death, spiritual death. You can be dead while you're still going to church, but you have no relationship with God. You no longer hear his voice. And your spiritual man that once heard him very well, even as a baby, no longer hears him. A person can use the word of God in an attempt to clean people up. For instance, they can use legalism. They can manipulate the word to their own advantage, to their own gain, to all kinds of things. They can live unworthily of the word and then have a doctrine that justifies their unworthy life, like a lot of false doctors do. All these things bring death to the spiritual man, the one who is eternal, the one who has eternal life. And remember, the old man doesn't have eternal life. That's why he has to die here. There's a lot of people who have become twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Their spiritual man died because they followed a Cain, a Balaam, an Eli, a Saul, a Pharisee. They've become twice dead. In other words, Saul has led his people to lose their life at the hands of their own fleshly man. They walked after the flesh. They used the word while doing it and walked after the flesh. But where does that lead? Romans 8 says, Romans chapter 8 says it leads to death. You might still be standing on your feet, still going to church, still talking to talk, but you can't walk the walk. It's what God told Moses. I set before you this day 
a blessing and a curse in Deuteronomy 11.26. The word of God is both a blessing and a curse. It depends on your relationship to the word. And if you obey the word, the word's a blessing. And if you submit to the word, if you have faith in the word, the word is a blessing. If you disobey the word, the word is a curse. If you walk after the flesh, you must die. Yet so many preachers get people's eyes on themselves. They get their eyes on the earth. They get their eyes on what they have to do or what they can do. And it doesn't bring nothing but death. But you know, you can be in the water and of the water. Moses means drawn from the water. So if you can be in the water, you can be of the water. But if you have your faith on the sun, that water's a blessing to you. It's life. And when we keep our face on the sun, he's the one who supplies our needs. He's the one who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Glory to God. He's the one who's crucified that old man. And he's the one who's healed our bodies. He's the one who's delivered us from the curse. It's all accomplished. And it's all over, folks. All we have to do is believe what the Bible says. You don't have to be moralized every Sunday, go down and grieve at an altar because you've been so bad all week since you hadn't had any faith because the preacher lied to you. You don't have to do that until you die. Some people just ultimately give up, throw their hands up in there and say, well, what's the use? This thing don't work. I tried it. No, you didn't try it. You tried their methods. And you tried their ways, but they lied to you about the power of God and what God's already done, already accomplished. You've had your eyes on the world the whole time. You need your eyes on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And all of this becomes life when you get your eyes on the Son of God. Well, the souls are leading God's people to death. Yep. In Jesus' day, that was also the overwhelming majority of the leadership of God's people. And it's the same way today, because history always repeats. Ecclesiastes 1 and 9 says, That which hath been is that which hath been done, shall be done, and that which hath been done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. Just as Jesus came as a Davidic ministry to lead God's people, a remnant of God's people, to righteousness, to truth, to purity, and the true kingdom of God. We have a man-child ministry coming that is to follow the Saul ministry that's in the leadership right now. Right after Saul was conquered, David came on the scene and was anointed of the Lord to rule all Israel. Guess what it said? Then all Israel gathered themselves to David unto Hebron. Can you imagine all Israel following after the man-child ministry? How can that be? It's because of who, <clears throat> who all Israel is. All Israel are those who are grafted into the olive tree through their faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 11, 23 and 26. All Israel is not all the people who rejected Jesus or didn't believe what he had to say. Obviously, there were a lot of people who didn't believe what Jesus had to say. 
They were following Saul to their death. But Jesus as David and the man-child in our day as David in whom Jesus lives, of course, Jesus is always going to be the head over all of God's true people. The New Testament spiritual Israel, glory to God. Jesus led all Israel because they all believed in him. Read Romans chapter 11. All Israel are only those Jews who came out of apostate religion and those Gentiles who were grafted in. All Israel are only the people who believe and are born of God, born of the word that comes down out of heaven. There's a lot of people born out of the word that come from the earth. They're born of the word that's a part of their religion. They're born of the leaven, which has no power to bring forth the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So here we go again. We're talking about a great revival coming among these people, folks. And it's a real revival, too, because these people who didn't follow Saul to death are now behind David. And as a matter of fact, when you read the next few chapters, you'll find out that some of these people came to David while he was still in the wilderness. Before he even became king, they came to David and followed and fought with him. They fought the enemies of Israel and conquered the enemies of Israel because they were killing their old man. And Saul couldn't conquer the enemies of Israel because he didn't kill his own old man. You have an enemy in the camp. You got a spy in the camp here, folks. And he's working for the enemy. You can't win unless you conquer that old man, that Goliath in your own life. And you know why David was so successful? He'd already killed Goliath. The old man was dead, so now the Lord was ruling. That's a spiritual type and shadow for us, and that's why he was able to lead God's people where Saul couldn't lead God's people. He'd already put the old man to death. So leading God's people to put the old man in the land, the Amalekites, to death was no problem for David. Because he'd already been there, done that. Saul hadn't been there, and he hadn't done that. And so Saul led his people to death. He didn't even believe that the old man could be could uh, could be conquered. <clears throat> he didn't believe that the giant should be conquered and told David so. That's their doctrine today. Just be happy to be forgiven. Never think you're going to overcome sin. And if that's their doctrine, folks, how are they going to conquer that old man? They're leaving the old man alive. They're leaving that mind of the flesh alive. And it's going to come back to conquer them. And it's happening. Can you see the ministries that are falling right now? Now, I know they're still propped up. And I know they're still preaching. And I know they still have people coming and they're still gathering in ties. But you know what? They're dead. They have turned away from God. They're fallen. There was a preacher who recently wrote a book defending Israel and declaring that Jesus didn't come to be the Messiah. How could he write that when the New Testament tells us so much and so often that he is the Messiah? Over and over and over, we read Jesus the Christ. And that word Christ is the word Messiah. 1 John 2.22, who is the liar but he that denied that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, even he that denieth the Father and the Son. And who is Antichrist? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That's Antichrist. How could so many people be following Saul's like that? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. 
People are following Saul to death. <clears throat> and you know who the old man is? The old man is ruling in the temple of God. He is the beast ruling in the temple of God. He's leading people to their death. And I tell you, we can't depart from this word. It's the only thing that brings the life of Christ in us, glory to God. It is the seed of Jesus Christ, this word here. It declares that in Matthew 13. He's the sower who sowed the seed that went into the heart that brought forth the fruit, 36 and 100 fold. There ain't nothing else that works, just the true word of God. The souls out there are defending their flesh, altering the word so that the old man can live while they themselves are living after the lust of their flesh and teaching their people to live after the lust of the flesh. And while they're saying, keep that old man alive now, we don't want him to die on us. And while they're doing that, they're dying at the hands of the Philistine. And soon, David is coming on the scene. And we're going to know it because these institutions and their leaders are going to become so corrupt that any child who's read the New Testament one time knows there's something wrong. Oh, let the word of God be your God, folks. There's no safety anywhere but trusting in the word of God. Babylon, folks, is going to be the whole, the prison of every foul demon. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 18 and 2. And that's saying that there are going to be more demons in the church, as we call it, the church, than there are outside of the church. And I'll tell you what, if you want to get demons possessed, go, go to church. You think I'm joking? <clears throat> but people are being delivered over to religious spirits, lying and deceiving spirits every day. They're being taught how to live in the flesh, and they're being led of Saul to their destruction. They've been conquered by the old man. They don't even know it. They're quite happy living in the flesh. And when they first came to the Lord, many of these people did have a conscience. They would have never given in to this. But slowly, they've been taken over. Taken over and then taken over. <clears throat> you know, there is a real church, and it's called the Called Out Ones. And in the Bible, Jesus called these people who went into the sheepfold. He called a sheep by name, and he called them out. They were those first disciples who came out of the apostate religion of Judaism and followed Jesus. Don't wait, folks, for your religion to follow. Not one religion followed Jesus back then, and they ain't going to do it today. Don't wait for them to follow, because they ain't going to do it. None of these organizations are going to do it. People do it. Organizations don't do it. No organization followed Jesus. Not one. And they're not going to follow him this time either. <clears throat> when you see this man-child coming, and if you haven't recognized from the scriptures that God is repeating history, you're going to be in trouble because you're going to continue to follow Saul to his death and destruction. And believe me, it's not just spiritual, it's going to be physical too. There's a great and terrible day of the Lord coming and that the Saul ministries and the people who follow them are going into. They're not going to escape. And it's not the tribulation period. It follows the tribulation period. And just like the word says, and it's there for the enemies of God's people. 
and the major enemies of God's people are religious folks who killed all, who, listen, who killed all the prophets? Who killed Jesus? Who killed the disciples? It was those that called themselves the people of God. They became so reprobate that they couldn't recognize goodness, righteousness, and truth. And is it happening in our day? Yeah. They're following Saul to their death. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, Wherefore come ye out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You know, when Jesus called forth those disciples to come out of that sheepfold, that was the church. The sheepfold wasn't the church. Church means called out ones. The ones who came out followed Jesus, and that was the church. Now God's going to repeat history. He's got another body of David. Why do I call it a body of David? Because Jesus is the one who lives in his Davids, and is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's coming according to Ezekiel 34 to shepherd his own sheep. He's had enough of those other shepherds shepherding his sheep. He's going to shepherd his sheep. And he's going to move, live, speak to a pure vessel, a vessel in whom Goliath is dead. <clears throat> and he's going to once again lead forth the sheep out of the apostate institutions of Christianity. Why? Because if you read the New Testament, you can see very clearly. If you'll just start reading the New Testament for yourself and decide that you're going to believe everything you see there, and the first thing you're going to realize is that I'm in the wrong place. What am I doing here? I should be following the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. Just like Revelation 14 and 4 speaks about. They came out from among them and they followed the Lamb, whithersoever he went or is going. Well, folks, I'm out of time. I hope you got something out of this. I hope this helps you. God bless you. We'll see you next time, God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow. Oh, Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? The shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust. Seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe for your mercy.
Jesus.